Here we go. Back-to-back days. Kind of like this condensed schedule, DB. We're doing back-to-back episodes. Uh, we were on for episode 10 yesterday. Now we're back with episode 11. Welcome to Kings of the Podcast. Dennis Bernstein, what's going on? And a COVID-free podcast as well, D- uh, Jay. Let's do it. Yeah, let's let's keep it that way. Uh, no more quarantining in 2021. Uh, we did enough of that locking ourselves in a basement in uh, in 2020. But look, uh, today's episode is going to largely be focused on the Ontario rain in the second period, but we have plenty of Kings talk for everybody in the first and third periods. So uh, in the spirit of fairness, I will tell everybody right off the hop that we are recording this on Friday morning. However, because the rain um, are busing up to Las Vegas, which we'll get into at, at this particular time, uh, I did record the episode, excuse me, the interview with Robo on uh on Thursday night. So John Robleski, the new coach of the Ontario Reign, who joined us right after he was hired. A great episode on Kings of the Podcast. Not only did we talk hockey, but we talked music. So, of course, I enjoyed it. Uh, he's going to join me in the second period for an extended interview and sort of a season preview. But we have a lot to get to before that, DB. We are coming to you today live from the Michael Mersh Studios here in Southern California. Now, this might be a name that you're familiar with, Dennis. Oh, totally. I know Michael Mersh. Big, powerful. Okay. Just never nice touch around the net, but just can never put it all together to be a consistent force for the Kings. You're absolutely right. And the reason that I that I uh, wanted to sort of pay tribute to him today is just the fact that he is such an important figure in the Ontario reign as an AHL franchise. Um, he when he left the organization, he uh, left as the goal leader with 61 goals in 165 games and also the points leader at 125 points uh, in those same 165 games, of course. So uh, 125 and 165, you know, just off of being a point of game player and with somebody that former coach Mike Stuthers leaned on very heavily. Uh, Johnny Brzezinski, of course, was a goal scorer for that team uh, for a number of years as well. And he would have been number two on the list since that time. Uh, Brett Sutter has passed uh, both of those guys, and he is now at the top with 148 points, although Brett Sutter has done it in 275 games played. Uh, One little quick note, because as I was researching all of these stats just to verify what I thought I remembered, which is that uh, Michael Mersh was the the all-time leader in goals for the team. Curtis McDermott, I did not realize this until I looked it up. Dermy is number two on the Ontario Reign games played list so brett really? sutter who's been a constant there is 275 yeah. games curtis mcdermott 194 games i i didn't re- really remember and so then i started going down this this rabbit hole of uh <laughs> looking into it and it all started to click and come together because i don't know if you noticed it or, or were aware of this but the other night on the broadcast jim um fox made reference to the fact that curtis mcdermott and nicholas delorier 
that they that they were roommates at one point and that they right. were friends. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I was later I was texting with Foxy and I was like, w when like, this doesn't make any sense to me because Curtis McDermott came into the organization a year after um, Delorier had already left. So let me just sort of timeline this for everybody sure. uh, to, to have it make sense. So Delorier was drafted um, before they ever signed Curtis McDermott. So Delorier is drafted. And then he develops in uh, Manchester and spends, he never played for the Ontario Reign. He only played for the Manchester Monarchs. And then eventually Delorier ends up leaving the organization. Well, McDermott turned pro the year after Delorier had left the organization. However, what I had forgotten was they signed McDermott as a uh, junior free agent in 2012, okay. three years before he ever really showed up uh, at, with the Ontario Reign. So during that time period, Delorier still was in the organization. So apparently Delorier and McDermott had crossed paths and become friends at a development camp or at a, at a rookie camp in, right. in September. Fascinating little story there, because just when you when you look at the stats, you go, how is that even possible? Because the timelines don't match up. And then you just remember, oh, yeah, the kids do meet up with each other, just like the college kids. Uh, they do meet up with, you know, the other junior prospects right, during the sure. uh, summer development camp. So Curtis McDermott, 194 games played with the Ontario Reign sitting there number two behind Brett Sutter. So uh, it looks like Brett Sutter will cross the 300 games played mark with the Ontario Reign during this 40-game season if everything goes well for him. So there you go. There's a little little milestone. He's been uh, one of the constants there. Again, John Robleski, the coach of the Ontario Reign, will be coming in, and we'll, we'll talk with him in the second period. Uh, but, DB, one other little note on uh, Michael Mersch, and that is that he went to the University of Wisconsin. He played an outdoor game there as well. So I wrote an article for the LAKings.com website a couple of years ago talking to several prospects that had played in outdoor games. And Mersh was one of them when he was at Wisconsin. I bring up Wisconsin, of course, because Tony Granato is there. Yes. And this weekend, Wisconsin, they call it the border battle. Wisconsin plays Minnesota. Mm. This, of course, is important because one of the real true rising prospects in the LA Kings organization drafted in the second round a couple of months ago is Brock Faber. Faber, uh, he patrols the blue line on the top pairing for Minnesota with uh, Ryan Johnson, who is Craig Johnson's son, and Craig Johnson is uh, Robleski's assistant coach. Are you following all of this? So, John, there's so many dots to connect, but you do it masterfully. So, so there you go. Uh, if anybody was lost, Wisconsin is playing Minnesota this weekend, and you can watch both of those games on TV. If you have Direct TV, but don't worry, I'm not going to give you. Oh, we're not going to go. You not get that not lecture gonna, again. I'm not going to get that lecture. I'm not going to give everybody a sports, uh, sports a television uh, breakdown. But if you have a sports package that allows you to watch the games, which is awesome. Uh, Wisconsin versus Minnesota this weekend, and that's always a, a, a big game in college hockey, so that's a lot of fun. DB, before we get started on going through these Twitter polls that we put up last night where we were asking for some fan feedback, and uh, we had 10 questions. We want to go through them on the broadcast today. Let's quickly just remind everybody that support for Kings of the Podcast comes to you from Manscaped. Love those guys. And uh, Valentine's Day is upon us, and so make sure that you're ready for wherever the night may take you. You have less than two weeks to go here, and our friends over at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, they're here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so that you can be ready for anything on that special day. How many millions of people, Dennis? Oh, two million, three million? Two million. See, you are paying attention. That's I'm good. I'm paying two attention, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Two million people worldwide uh, are already trusting. They've already trusted Manscaped. Uh, to help them with all of their grooming needs. And so if you're uh, listening right now and you're not one of the, the two million, if you're not one of the millions, as The Rock would say, and then millions. you need... 
Yes, then you need to join the join the party. Uh, your girl, if she can't think of what to get you uh, this this uh, this Christmas, wow, for uh, this Valentine's Day, <laughs> then uh, tell her to get you the gift that is actually for the both of you. Uh, the best way to get started is with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. It's full of the best products to keep you looking and smelling and feeling nice. You have the Perfect Package 3.0 which of course includes their revolutionary third generation lawnmower uh, 3.0 trimmer has the advanced skin safe technology, the cutting edge ceramic blade and DB's favorite feature, the led light. Yes, people. And we don't practice this ahead of time, guys. This is all right off the cuff here. It's so pretty there obvious you go. we don't. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof, which is great. Uh, very helpful. Uh, and you can also uh, check out their anti-chafing boxers, the crop, crop preserver, crop reviver. Uh, they have stuff that will help keep your boys from sweating, smelling, sticking, all sorts of good stuff. And uh, everything smells good, including their refined cologne, their signature scent. It came out uh, from Manscaped here just a couple of months ago. We were talking about that on the program recently. So they have the perfect package for your perfect package. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. That's K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. Save 20%. Get free shipping. Manscaped.com. K-O-T-P-N-E-W. Happy Valentine's Day from Manscaped. Dennis, happy Friday. Why don't we uh, jump into it and start taking a look at some of these poll questions? Does that sound like something you might be interested in? I would be interested, and they were great questions. John. I think it spread a lot of, you know, of course, John, you just don't get the vote. You get everybody chiming in with their opinions um, as uh, guided or misguided as they can be. But, yeah, I thought they were a great round of questions, so let's get to it. All right. So they, I didn't really put them out there in any sort of particular order, like a theme, as if you were like writing an article or a book. So I do apologize to anybody who thinks we're sort of hopscotching around, uh, but, but that's by design. Just uh, So let's just go in the order that they were sent out there. So the very first question was, which of these Kings prospects would you like to see get an NHL game next? First, I just have to give a little commentary. I love it when people reply and, and want to tell me other names that aren't there because clearly they have a reading <laughs> comprehension problem. It's written right into the sentence, which of these, I need to start capitalizing things, or I wish there was a way to bold and underline on Twitter, which of these four prospects uh, would you like to see in an NHL game next? And you had Byfield, Kapari, Thomas, and Turcotte. Dennis, I don't know if you've looked at the results. I was I have. shocked. I was blown away by the results. Uh, so let me just give them out and then we can talk about them. Alex Turcotte came in number yeah. one and by a landslide, 45% to Turcotte, uh, 23% to Byfield, 21% to Kapari, and 10%, unfortunately, uh, low number there for our buddy Akil Thomas. And uh, I, I may have actually gone with Akil Thomas, but let's, let's, uh, what was your take on this, Dennis? Who were you expecting to win? I, I know who I was expecting, and it wasn't the person that won. Yeah, I voted for Byfield, and I didn't think, you know, but I think, John, what it is, is I think people think that he might be the quote unquote, closest to being ready, and Kapari might be, but John, you know, Kapari is such an unknown, like yeah. he's almost forgot, and we don't really know much about him, we don't know much about his game, he really hasn't been highlighted or talked about much, so I, I understand the mentality of Turcotte. Um, because I think the perception is like same class, but he's closer. And um, so I get, I understand it, but I, I think the volume of votes, I agree with you. It was as surprising, I think, as you were. Yeah. So uh, look, uh, if, 
if people have been following what we've been saying and they're like, oh, okay, we get it. Byfield is not ready yet. He's a year behind and Turk got, you know, he's a year older or, or he was drafted in the class before. And we just saw Turcott at the world junior and he put on a strong performance. And so, and they start thinking along those lines. I, I, I can understand the logic. I just find that a lot of the answers on Twitter are rather illogical. So I expected Byfield to win in a landslide. Right. You are you are right though, DB. That Kapari does seem to be lost in a lot of this. I mean, first of all, he was bumped out of the top five in the Mayor's Manor prospect rankings. Right. He would have been number five, and then they made the trade for Tyler Madden. Kapari slips into number six. In general, it's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal when you you know go from five to six. But there is a little bit of cachet with saying you're a top five prospect instead of saying you're a top ten prospect. And right. There are only so many names you can rattle off when you're talking about top five prospects. And so he doesn't get mentioned, Kapari, that is, doesn't get mm -hmm. mentioned in the same breath that Bjornfoot, uh, yep. Byfield, Turcotte, Kaliev, that they get mentioned in so often. So he tends to be forgotten. Then he has the knee injury, so he's mm -hmm. sidelined for a year. And then to top all of that off, there's the language barrier as well. So we don't have all this really great, fun content uh, on Mayor's Manor, uh, you know, um, with We've Kapari. not interviewed him. He hasn't been on the podcast. I mean, look right. at every other guy on there. They have been. Turcotte's sure. been on the show. Byfield's been on the show. Uh, Thomas has been on the show. So, yeah, Kapari does get sort of lost in the shuffle, I think, sometimes. Not for long, though, because uh, he might be on the top line for Ontario this year, playing with Tyler Madden and Galiev. So you might see a lot of and hear a lot of Kapari. But, uh, yeah, Alex Turcotte, 45% yeah. of the votes. Very surprised by that. And I don't mean that in any sort of a diss towards Turcotte. No. His game was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, you saw what he did at the World Juniors and what he's capable of doing. So very interested, very excited to see Turcotte get going this weekend uh, up in Henderson with the Ontario Reign. But, wow, 45%. Let's uh, move on to the second question, Dennis. Second question was, which of these Kings prospects – and hopefully people noticed a theme here. The first four were all forwards. The second four were all defensemen. Um, so I, I said, which of these Kings prospects would you like to see get an NHL game next? And Bjornfoot, Brickley, Dursey, and Holtz. I, I expected Bjornfoot to win this in a landslide um, only because he's the one that people seem to be chomping at the bit for yes, uh, right after now. seeing him in a couple of games last year. And no doubt about it, he ended up uh, receiving 82% of the votes. What I was also most curious about was to see um, how the other three sort of shook out because I think you have three distinct, interesting stories with Brickley, Dursey, and Holtz. So in Dursey, you have this guy who is an offensive, uh, you know, dynamo. That, that, that's his calling card. He is a puck-moving, power, uh, power play, quarterbacking, you know, type of offensive, uh, you know, geared defenseman who's been working on his defensive game over the last couple of years, especially last year under coach Mike Stuthers. And now of course, under Robleski, I'm sure. Um, and is said to have made great strides during 2020 during the downtime. So I wanted to know if people were aware of Jersey uh, and, and, and then comparing him to Cole Holtz, who did come on the program, who had a phenomenally uh, successful short of winning a national title, had a very successful career at Penn state. And then Daniel Brickley, who there was a lot of hype about just a couple of years ago. And so the, the way that it all shook out was Dursey received 10%, Brickley 5%, Holtz 3%. You might not think it's a big deal, but I was a little surprised that Brickley had more votes than Cole Holtz. Yeah, I would think because Br Brickley's the forgotten guy, right? I mean, you mentioned it. Was it two, three years ago? He was up the, at the uh, 
um, at the preseason uh, ticket holders meeting. They had him up on stage. That's how much they were trumpeting him. Then they went up to Utah, played a game up there. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, surprising that uh, he's just uh, – I mean, John, is he a factor? I mean, you, you're – you're the pipeline prospects guy. Where does he stand right now? I think that there is a giant question mark on Daniel Brickley. I mean, we've talked about this being a make or break season for a guy like Grunstrom. This really is the ultimate fork in the road for Daniel sure. Brickley. Now, let's let's put the caveat out there. He had some serious health issues. He also had some serious personal issues with his father. Right. And that has impacted him, understandably so. That has impacted him over the last couple of years. But he had... His, his window was very short in which to make it with the LA Kings. Like Blake Lazat had a very short window as an example of when he could jump up and take one of the center spots with the LA Kings because coming right behind him was a, a gang load of future centers and Gabe Velarde and Turcotte and Byfield and Kabari and, you know, et cetera. So he capitalized on that window. Unfortunately, Daniel Brickley wasn't able to capitalize on that window, as we just mentioned. Um, and his career had sort of fallen so far off the tracks that he uh, was assigned, uh, you know, to the ECHL. And then he was also even traded uh, by the Kings in, in like this. It wasn't even really officially a trade. It was, it was a loan. It wasn't a trade. It was like, Hey, you can, and these things are so rare. They happen in, in, in the yeah. AHL, but it's not like it happens every season. Um, hey, you can borrow our guy. He needs to change of scenery, but we're not going to let you have him full time. So he went and played uh, in Winnipeg, I believe. And then they yeah. sent a forward to LA because it worked out perfect. Uh, Ontario had, too many defensemen. So Brickley, you go play there, get a change of scenery, get your head straight, you know, and, and, and then come back and see. So this is it for him. He needs to come in this year. He needs to, he needed to have a great camp and he needs to have a great season. Um, and I'll talk more about that with John Robleski in the, great. in the second period. I'm very interested to see the type of season that Brickley has, especially early on, because I will say this, Dennis, he brings something to that defensive group that they don't otherwise have. He, he, he is the opposite of Sean Dersey, right? Mm -hmm. So, right. He, he brings some size. He brings something that they don't have in that defensive group. And if Brickley can get back on track, that would be a big, big add to their defensive group. And uh, don't discount him. Don't, don't, don't look at him and be like, oh, you know, he wasn't a first-round draft pick. He's not a Bjorn foot, so it's not important. Hey, guys, Mikey Anderson was a mid-round draft pick. He's playing on the top pairing and looking great playing with, with Drew Doughty. Uh, Cole Holtz is a mid-round draft pick. He's phenomenal. Uh, Sean Walker, you know, unre unrestricted free agent, basically signed out of college. Uh, Matt Matt Roy doing a fine job on the second pair when he's healthy, and he was a late draft pick. So it's not all about the sexy picks that are taken in the first and second round. You need a complement of players. All right, moving on. Dennis, away from the players and back to the fans. Question number three. If the LA Kings were allowed to offer 5,000 fans at Staples Center, would you attend a game? Uh, I didn't want to get political on this, Dennis. I was just curious sort of yeah. what the temperature was of, of people. And um 57% of the people said yes. I was kind of surprised by that number. I expected the number to be about 30% yes. Did you really? I thought it was going to be higher, actually. Well, it, it, really? depends, yeah, it, it depends on, like, what the context, right? If we're at a point where they do that and half the population, 75% of the population is vaccinated, I think more people would even go. If it was today, um, I just think that fans miss the game so much, and if you take the proper care, plus it's also context. What, what are the conditions of you coming mm -hmm. back in the building. I assume you have to wear a mask. I assume that sure. you may have to show that you were vaccinated or you had a, a negative test um, because mm -hmm. when you see what's going on in the league. So I would think it would be more because just because it's been, John, almost a year since an LA fan seen their team play live. So I think mm -hmm. that that need, but there's still, 
a level of concern, a level of fear um, that would probably keep that then. I thought it would be more. I thought it would be 75%. It's funny that, that oh. you would think it would be 30%. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's get a couple more in here and wrap up the first period. So um, next one here would be, which of these Kings newcomers has impressed you the most thus far in 2021? And I tried to stick with just people that were basically new in 2021. So I didn't include Gabe Velarde and didn't include Mikey Anderson because right. they had played a larger pool of games. Correct. I did include Kel Clegg, even though he made his NHL debut last year, he really was only up for just a cup of coffee. So the, uh, the four players that you can basically say are real true newcomers would be Mark Alt, Leah Anderson, Kale Clegg, and Ole Mata. I expected it to be a, a two horse race and it certainly was. Uh, Leas Anderson received 48% of the votes. Kale Clegg received 46% of the votes and then Alton Mata had 3% each. I want to say I was very surprised by this uh, forwards. You know, they tend to get more votes when you're, when you're going up against the defenseman. 48 to 46 percent. That was very, very close for Leah Sanderson and Kale Clegg. It was. Well, I'm a little Kale now. A couple of games is played on the second pair. And Leah's has basically been, you know, third, fourth pair. But yeah, I think I voted Clegg. But it, yeah, I agree with you. It, it's a toss up between those two with respect to how they've performed so far this season. Uh, and I love the comments about people saying who voted for Mana. That was that was pretty good. Well, yeah, and people, you know, why was Mark Alt included? Well, you guys he's just go through the roster. I mean, who? yeah, he's a newcomer. I know he signed to a two-way deal, and he wasn't expected to play, but he has been playing in games. I mean, and I was just trying to give you four. Uh, for those of you that have never set up a Twitter poll, by the way, you can have either two, three, or four responses. And since I had four on the other ones and tried to do the same thing here, uh, one more here. This will be the, the fifth of our ten, and then we'll do six through ten on the uh, on the other side of the the second period there when we get to the third after the robo interview uh, after nine games played. And, you know, I do want to say this was almost an unfair question, Dennis, because uh, there is a recency bias here. Tuesday night was yes. absolutely <laughs> horrible. And if I right. would have put this poll up on Monday, I think the results might have been different, but it is what it is. Okay. Right. It is what it is. Um, after nine games played, what grade would you give the LA Kings so far this season? A, B, C, or D? And not that surprising. 66% of the people went with a letter grade of C. And interesting, 17% said B and 16% said D or lower. I was really disappointed in the people that picked 16% D or lower, Dennis. Yeah, I, I think that, right. Had, look, had they won that game, I think they would have been 4-4-2. Four, four, and two. So they're not, uh, look, and I've said this on the last podcast, except for Tuesday, and I agree with, with the recency bias. They have been competitive in every game. They split yes. with... Yeah, they split with St. Louis. They split with Colorado. I don't know how much more you could ask for. This is not a team that anybody said was going to contend for the top. So, yeah, I agree with you. It just the timing was <laughs> may have skewed yeah. things a little bit. But I, I think in fairness, I think a C is, is a fair grade at this point. Well, here's the here's the problem that I have and the exception that I take with D or lower. I think that there were really one of two camps that you could have been in coming into the season. OK, maybe you could have been in a third camp, which is, you know, you, you don't care. Right. Or you have no expectations. But I think right. that the majority of fans fell into two categories. And I think we pulled them recently on this. And 70 percent of them fell into the category of thinking this was a playoff team this yes. year that they could, they could contend Correct. for that fourth spot with Minnesota, which we've talked a lot about. So 70 percent of the fans as of a couple of weeks ago felt that this team should be competing for that fourth playoff spot. 30 percent of them were in full tank mode and they wanted to, you know, 
get rid of everybody. And even somebody suggested benching Kopitar. I don't even know how to respond to that. Um, they wanted to basically just play all the kids. Doesn't matter if they're 15 years old and you can sign them to an NHL contract, put them in there. They wanted to play as many kids as possible. Right. So <laughs> right. It, just think about those two, those two schools of thought though. If you, if you came into the season thinking that they were going to compete for the fourth playoff spot, how would you grade them after nine games? I think a C is a fair uh, grade. They're, they're, they're hanging in They're They're right there. They haven't, they haven't done anything to, you know, demonstrate that they are the dominant team and that they're they're the team to beat for that fourth playoff spot but they certainly have not indicated that they're going to be the the cellar dwellers in the west division either so not really warranted a c i mean excuse me a d at this point in my mind or you go the other direction and you go well i want they should be playing the kids they should go all in about well hold on wait a minute they do have mikey anderson uh playing on the top pair less than 20 games of nhl experience they have kale clegg playing on the second pair less than 10 games NHL experience. Leah Sanderson is in there. Um, you know, he's, he's a kid. If you want to call him that they're playing Grunstrom, they're giving him an opportunity. I mean, what, how, how does that warrant a D like maybe you, you, you wanted Cali of more, you wanted Byfield or Turcotte or whatever, but I, I don't know. I just, John, it would I be think- just the opposite. If you have that expectation that they're not going to be good and they're not that good, you should grade them an A. Because that's, that's what you point. wanted, right? That's what I'm saying. I don't. I right. don't understand. I don't understand the mindset of the people that went with a D. And I and I do believe. And I'm not being an apologist, but I I think the C is more a recency bias because I I, I you know if they won that game, look, not only was it a game that they would have won, but it was a game against Anaheim, which of course, you know, in, right. in a fan's mind, it, more it's more bitter. Right. It's like a ten point game, right? So yeah. uh, if they would if they would have beaten Anaheim. Uh, if they if they somehow win a game or two in Vegas, you know, I think if I repolled everybody on Monday, the, the the scores would be much different because right now among the Kings fan base, I believe that Vegas is the second most hated team. Although Dennis, maybe I don't know what the Kings fan base thinks because I thought that they, I thought that they were uh, the opposite of what they were believing about Corey Perry. People have been sending me hate mail. Oh um, yeah, so sure. It it, it, it it just to clarify, people, I said it was a love hate for Corey Perry. I was wrong. It was. Yeah, but no, I think because of rate, uh, you know, Anaheim really hasn't been good the last three seasons, right? I, mm-hmm. I think their biggest rival right now from a fan standpoint is Vegas because yeah. they came in, they were the Golden Boys first year cup final. They're still, they have fan. I mean, John, the first year, I would never have expected that there would be Vegas Golden Knights fans in the buildings. And they mm-hmm. traveled well to me. So I, I think that was a shock to everybody, including the fans. So I think right now, I think it's their biggest rival. Really? I do. Okay. I do. See, I just think of Vegas like, yeah, whatever. I know fans are, they, they're so bitter and they hate Vegas yes. so much because of their, their success right out of the gates. I don't know. It just doesn't bother me for some reason. Okay. I just like, oh, okay, cool. You know, like, I, I guess because just being born and raised in Southern California, um, and you know the Dodgers hating the Angels and and you know right. hating the Ducks and also hating Northern California. So like to me, a King Sharks game is way more interesting That's than a, true. even King Sharks, even yeah. than a King's Ducks game. It, like, but you know it's it's interesting because the players used to hate the Sharks more than anybody. And I, I specifically remember talking to guys like Dustin Brown and Dowdy and whatnot, and they would almost laugh about this quote unquote rivalry with Anaheim. And they were like, no, the team we hate yep. is the Sharks. And so, I mean, they hated, hated the Sharks when the, especially in like 2010 to 2012, when the, when, when the fans all thought that they hated Vancouver and they hated mm-hmm. the Ducks. No, they hated the Sharks. Yeah. So yeah, that's a very intense rivalry. You're right about that. 
good old hate for for NoCal, but I guess fine. <laughs> okay, the big it's I, I guess also because for me, uh, the the teams are at different um, levels in their development. So, you know, the, let's be honest. Let's just call it what it is. The Kings are not at the same level of the Vegas right. Golden Knights right now. So, how is that your rival this when is the last th- this one the team period. is is lucky to be considered in the conversation for the fourth playoff spot, and another team is really in the conversation for the division lead? And and you know the other thing, John, is I, I think is that the love we have for Vegas, both you and I personally, like you That's with your probably. Hard Rock Hotel and stuff like that, like we don't really. <laughs> Like you would never have a derogatory term for Vegas like you do for Northern California. Like you of love course. that. It's great. So I think that that like subconsciously, like I don't hate Vegas. I think Vegas is fantastic. You love the arena. <laughs> we go to the arena. We love it. You're always yeah, there for UFC. So so I think that that's the, like a built-in uh, bias for Vegas as well. You know what? I think you just hit it on the head. You're absolutely right. So uh, with that, let's get to the music. Let's get to the break. And then on the other side, we'll talk with the new coach of AHL Ontario Reign, John Robleski. Robo coming up right after this. podcast and you know he hasn't even uh, coached officially his first AHL game yet but he's already making his second appearance here on Kings of the podcast I'm talking about coach John Robleski Robo what's happening hey John it's uh it's great talking to you just uh just getting off the ice here and uh another great week of practice and ready ready to get on the bus tomorrow go to Henderson and get this thing started all right, so we'll talk about uh, the bus trips and everything else related to the Ontario Reign. But first, most importantly, Ashley, Rory, how's every, how's the fam doing? Are they adjusting to SoCal? Things going okay? I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a lot easier on the uh, on the family being able to walk out the door and go to the park and uh, maybe shorts and uh, and a sweatshirt as opposed to fully full parkas and boots in the, back in Detroit right now. So. Even though things aren't uh, aren't back to normal, but uh, we can we can still get a, get to some of that Southern California living. It's it's great living here, and we we really like it. Okay, well, good. Speaking of being a papa, uh, I'm wondering. The other night, Arthur Kaliev he scores the hammer, as you call him, uh, <laughs> which I love. It's a great nickname, by the way. But but look, uh, the hashtag is already embedded. It's it's hashtag Artie Party. So we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll try to work the hammer in wherever we can, but. Uh, you know, it's not going to become the number one hashtag. I'm just letting you know right now. But um, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. But here's what I'm wondering, though. Did you? I mean, you haven't had Artie for a long time, so it, it's not the same as maybe some of your other players. But did you feel a little bit like a proud papa when you when you saw him score that goal the other night in his NHL debut? I was just I was happy for everybody. I think um, you know Artie. Artie's come a long way uh, in regard to I think how he's he's viewed as a player. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of a lot of people view him as a as a luxury type player, but he really break down his game. He's he he has a good understanding of his defensive zone. He'll he'll hunt on the forecheck. Um, you know, trying to get him there consistently and building that engine so he can do it at the NHL level is so important. And 
uh, his, his showing should give a lot of people uh, some confidence, um, you know, for the future. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's still got to get to prove he can do it in, in the AHL on a regular basis. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's something, to, something to work on. And uh, it's, I think it's a great, great thing for everybody. I, I didn't look at it as one of my guys making it to the NHL. I think there's a, lot, a long way to go for, for that to be a process and to take any credit for that. It, this is all, this is all the kid and him put in the work and it was good. I was really happy for him. Yeah. Um, and you called it earlier that day. You thought the morning <laughs> of, I mean, let's be honest, let's, let's, let's give you a little pub here. You, you thought that morning, Hey, Artie's going to score tonight. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, uh, I mentioned to a few people that, uh, that I thought he's going to score just, he's got that, he's got that special goal score, goal scoring aura, um, about him. So, um, yeah, hopefully that can uh, he doesn't take it for granted and keeps keeps working and we'll see how many uh, how many times he can find the back of the net for the rain and then hopefully for the Kings here someday. Yes, for sure. Well, if it if it gets to his head, I'm sure that you'll straighten him out in Henderson <laughs> over the weekend. Um, let's keep with the proud Papa theme. Uh, one of your former players, obviously Alex, Tur- I guess current player too, but Alex Turcotte. He's with Team USA. Haven't talked to you since the World Juniors much. Um, when you're watching him and Zegris and all those guys, and they go out there and they win the gold medal, w- was that a proud Papa moment for you? That was. Yeah, I thought uh, for. It was sort of the culmination of that of that really special birth year, uh, and uh, the credit to, to Nate Lehman's staff uh, to to bring home the gold and the, and the players, everybody that contributed to it. Uh, a very very uh, proud and, and happy uh, for everybody involved, USA Hockey and and all the players to uh, to be able to hoist that that trophy and to and to put the, the gold around your neck. It's a it's a great feeling to have that weight and. Uh, it was really, you know, Turks getting the golden goal. I, I'm hoping what that'll do for him. Uh, there's so few players who, who've scored that that uh, that deciding goal in a in a World Junior gold medal game, and so it's uh, you know it's something that I think he'll be he'll be able to bank on for the rest of his career. So take the take the setback uh, out of it and missing a couple of weeks here because of the, his participation in the tournament. Let's, let's look at the positives of of sending him and and what what it ended up should do for his confidence long term. You are a very lucky man right now. Not only have you been given the keys to the, the Ferrari with all of these young prospects, but you have the player who scored the golden goal that this year's World Junior in, our, in Turcotte, and you have the player who scored the golden goal the prior year for Team Canada uh, in, in, in Akil Thomas. So you're, you're set. That should be some kind of uh, trivia question right there. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, there's a couple of rare, rare commodities. we got some... We've got some special players, and um, and and the thing that we're we're happy with at, at this point is a lot of a lot of really solid work ethic from these from these young men, and it seems to be a a pretty selfless uh, mentality across the board. It doesn't seem we haven't had any issues yet, and of course the games haven't started, but the uh, guys are very very bought into the to the idea of team and, and doing things and just get getting better uh, growth mindset on a daily basis. So they're. They're real good kids, and let's uh, you know we'll just continue to bolster their their skill sets. Now, look, let's roll up our sleeves here a little bit, and let's 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 get into the mud. Let's get into the dirty part of the conversation. So, having the respect from the players is obviously very important. Uh, it, given your past relationship with Turcotte, how do you avoid getting that rap? This happens in the business world all the time, where like you know Turk's your boy, he's your guy. Yeah. How do you yeah. how do you avoid that? I'm I'm guessing that it's been something that you and or you know, you've addressed either with the team or with him or just, yeah. Tell me a little bit of how do you avoid that stigma? Well, I don't, I don't know if you, I guess the, the, you avoid it or it would be a conversation piece 
uh, for someone who's not holding their weight properly or carrying the, carrying the load like they should. Um, and we haven't, we haven't come into that situation with Alex. Uh, he's, he's only been with us for a little bit and he'll be treated at this point and he doesn't want to be treated any differently from the other players. So going forward, there's accountability. There's, uh, you know, a certain amount of credit in there in, in his account that he, that he has to build up. Um, within the organization, it's not nothing's given here yet. You know, like you've got to you've got to go and earn earn that credibility throughout. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess um, we'll we'll cross a road such as if we need to, but I, it doesn't need to be addressed, in my opinion. He's a, he's another player for our team, an extremely valuable one, like they all are, and he'll be treated as as such. And so, um, you know, I don't think anybody would have it any other way. Let me ask you sort of a weird question here. Uh, obviously, you would, you know, you welcome the opportunity to step up and become an American League coach and to take your career hopefully to the next level. So there's never really is a, a bad time. But was this almost like a perfect scenario for you? And what I mean by that is this: you're you're following in the footsteps of a guy in Mike Stuthers who was just beloved by his players um, and was a very popular, you know, coach in the organization. And then he's no longer with the team, and it's always tough when you're when you're stepping in and trying to fill the shoes of somebody like that. But in this particular case, two things are kind of working to, I think, perhaps work to your advantage. One is there was this long separation uh, because of 2020 and COVID and everything where, like, it almost seems like 10 years ago when Stutz was here. It's not like it was just a couple of months ago how you normally would have a season. And then the second thing is there's been such a tremendous roster turnover because this whole influx of kids we are talking about Turcotte and Byfield and Kaliev and Cole Holtz and I mean I can just keep going all these new players that are coming in it's almost like you're taking over a new team instead of taking over Stutz team does that make sense yeah you've you've thought about this more than I have about how the transition we go but I think about uh, it all Robo I think about every single aspect in this organization okay I wasn't uh I guess First off, talk about Mike Stothers. is it's an honor to replace him to be even to be in the same chair that he was in. As as much as he's accomplished here with Ontario and back in Manchester, um, you know my my first my first thought when I when I think of of Mike's tenure is ultimate respect. And so, um, but quickly that that has to shift. Um, and I I haven't really. I, there hasn't been any any day or any time where I haven't felt like this hasn't uh, this hasn't been our new conglomerate running it. You know, with with Chris and 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 CJ, of course, Matt Miller and, and Brad Schuler. It feels like we've been because we've been planning for this since October one when I got here, meeting the Todd staff, and it, it just feels like it's it's been our our group from from that time going forward. So I guess we you know that t- that timetable that you alluded to uh, probably contributed to that, but there's never been a sense of, uh, of needing to, uh, you know, fill Mike's shoes or anything like that um, mm-hmm. from our standpoint. And so there, I think we're, uh, we're just ready to go all in on it uh, from the get go and not, a, not a real feeling out process. And I think the players, they'll just, they'll, they respond to, to uh, a group that's organized and, and has demands that are, uh, laid out cleanly and and squarely, and then you just kind of you move from there as as fairly as you possibly can, and uh, with eyes wide open, I guess as, as much as as often as possible. So, I, you know, I think at that point you you earn the respect of the players, and they're 
they're ready to and willing to to learn new things as well. And so I think that that's you know we're in we're in a spot like that. And you you mentioned there's a huge turnover, so there's there's not you know how did how did Stutz run it or anything like that. Um, so uh, it very very long answer to to uh, but I wanted to give it the uh, you know I thought the credibility to to, to answer about replacing a, a legend in in Stutz. So. I, well, I like your long answers, to be honest with you, because it gives me an opportunity to get to know you better. Because um, to be quite honest, even though we've had several conversations, I still barely know you, and I'm, yep. I'm constantly trying to get inside your brain and sort of figure out how it works. So I appreciate Careful. the long answers. <laughs> Careful. Um, once, but, you, once you get in there, it's it you, you might get mixed, get caught in the, uh, <laughs> in the washing machine, as well, it were. You uh, you have decent taste in music, so I I I, I think we might be onto something, but. Um, we covered that on the last episode. Uh, look, you um, let's let's go to the next one here. Then you uh, you talked about Wisconsin, or we talked with you about Wisconsin, um, and in the last episode. And I just think it's funny, only because uh, in talking to Cole Holtz the other day, he had mentioned Wisconsin and that sort of being, uh, you know, some common ground that the two of you could perhaps build a relationship off of. And it it just it hit me how as much as you're trying to adjust into your new role and your new organization and the new players and everything else, they're trying to adjust as well. You take a kid like Cole Holtz who really had his legs under him uh, at Penn state and established his identity and his role and, and all of that stuff. And then he comes here and it's like sort of having the, the, the rug pulled out from underneath him. Um, is that something that you guys are able to then sort of bond, you know, over and outside of hockey, of course, and X's and O's, but your Wisconsin backgrounds. Well, we're, I think we're still working on uh, personal connections with every player. I think it's, you know, we're at the stage now where we're getting to know them on the ice, and that's that's probably the the fir- the first thing is to know where they're at there, um, and then sort of you know you have to work on those personal relationships. I don't think that happens overnight, but having that having that connective tissue with Cole about you know being from the same area, we. We both uh, had the heart wrenching loss with the Packers going out uh, to, to Brady <laughs> the other week, but we were we were playing anyway, so I didn't get to watch it. But uh, um, I think you know, just to get back to it, I think it's a very difficult situation for all all guys who uh, come out of college or, or junior, and they uh, they were one of the best players on their old team, and now now they're asked to come in and and re reassert themselves. Um, in their professional ranks and they all want to get there as quickly as they possibly can. And it's up to us to, to, you know, expedite that, that situation. Uh, but also to have them be in the now as often as possible to, to really appreciate each rep and to, uh, whether that's in practice or a game and to not look too far ahead and not worry about where you're at in the, in the depth chart and just be, be ready and improve yourself as often as you possibly can. Um, because ultimately that's what you're going to be judged upon. And, and when you do get that nod is it's, 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 a, are you consistent with your repetition? Are you, are you a gamer? Do you, do you practice efficiently? Can you hold your own with the big club? You won't even get a shot in practice if you can't, right? And you won't even get a shot in a game if you can't get through practice with the big club. So, you know, those are things that we have to work through with all our young guys and Cole's no different, even though he's a little bit older on the scale of coming out of college and having a couple of years of junior under his belt that way. He he still is a rookie and needs to needs to learn the game and learn learn what pro hockey is all about. So we're really really positive on Cole and we think we think a lot of him and you know he's dealing with that that uh, that terrible uh, you know long set injury and um, you know we're we're excited to see what he can what he can accomplish here in these in these few months that we have together. 
Now, I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I'm sure you did all of your research by reading the Mayor's Manor prospect rankings, where every year we put out detailed scouting reports, not just cold with, with sort of my thoughts, but also in talking to coaches and scouts and GMs and everybody across the world of hockey to come up with these rankings, and they've sort of become the Bible of the Kings' prospects and where they stand on an annual basis. And so for years, for the past couple of years, I should say, um, I threw a lot of weight behind Mikey Anderson, and I've tried to tell everybody prior to him becoming an NHL player late last year, this is a guy who probably will wear a letter in Los Angeles. He's just a born leader. He's a born winner. And uh, you're now seeing Mikey off to a great start, obviously, with the Kings and and already playing on the top line with Drew Doughty. Uh, Cole Holtz is that next guy for me. He's that sleeper guy. While everybody can talk about, you know, and we will, Byfield and Kapari and and, and Turk and all these guys, uh, on the defensive side of things, Cole Holtz is that guy that I believe is just going to quietly sneak up on everybody and is going to be an amazingly good player. Here's the funny part, though. For as nice of a guy as he is, he's so personal. We had him on the show, personable. We had him on the show. He was funny. I've talked to him a number of times over the last couple of years. But the dude just comes across as so intense, and he never smiles. So um, on these Zoom calls, I'm putting the over-under at uh, 0.5 uh, to get a smile out of him. It's pretty hard to get him to smile. You know, it's interesting that he's, he's got a stoic uh, disposition about him, but it, it just means that I think we, in regard to hockey, that, that he's just he's a business guy that way. He wants he wants it. He wants to be a player, and uh, you know that's the urgency factor that he, you probably see with his lack of lack of a sense of humor at that point. It's just it's just his serious nature towards the game, and I think that's something you can respect at the end of it all. So, um, well, you know, I'm I, not, I love I'm not I love. Him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I know, but. Uh, I, we're we're high on Cole, and we're we're excited to see what what he can, what what kind of leaps and 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 balance he can make this season. Okay, at the other end of the spectrum, because you don't know you didn't know a lot of these guys before arriving in LA. Who's the funniest guy on the team? Oh, I'd have I'd have to really think about that. I don't I don't know. I, I don't have I don't have a great answer for you right now. All right, right, Robo. We're going to let you off the hook on that one. Let's go the other direction. I think I think Aiden Aiden Dudas has has a good (laughs) a good disposition about it. He's got a little bit of he's got that uh, sort of antagonist and uh, kind of mentality where he'll he'll get under guy's skin and he's he's a confident young young man who's who's not afraid to. He even he, before we even really knew each other, he gave us uh, gave me a little flack about the USA Canada game uh, coming up, and it was you know he does he doesn't know me all that well. He doesn't know that I have kind of a, a you know a, a comedic side or you know light side to my to my personality, and he he was he was quick on the punch. So he's he's got some confidence. I like I like the way that he carries himself. But they're all, I mean they're hockey players. Everybody everybody's got a fair amount of uh, you know of, of of skin of you know lose. Uh, Sorry, like uh, you know, they're not they're not too quick to to take barbs or anything too serious, and they're they're pretty readily they're readily available to hand them out. So uh, that's kind of hockey across the board. Okay, so I had I had this lined up for later in the show. It was going to be my final chirp on the way out the door, but I'm going to bring it up now <laughs> since you mentioned Dudas. So I had Dudas and and uh, uh, Ingham and a couple of guys on the program when they were uh, either in Germany or coming back from Germany at, at the end of last year, and I found out a little bit about uh, Dudas, a little bit of a fashionista. You know, they were trying to get him going. Um, you might want to talk to Dudas because I've noticed that you keep wearing these red, white, and blue ties, uh, Robo. You've been here long enough now. 
I, I get that you're from the U.S. program, but I, I need to see some black and silver, you know, type ties uh, with, with AHL season kicking off this weekend. Can you and Dudas maybe stop at the outlets up on the 15 on Barstow and pick up some ties before the, <laughs> before the games this weekend? <laughs> it red, it, I, I do wear red, white, and blue ties. Uh, I like the color scheme. And I've got, I've got silver and black. Don't worry. It's just pulling out at the right time. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll be looking for it on the on the AHL TV stream this weekend. Uh, that's fine. Uh, let's break some news right now. So uh, we already know that Turk is off of IR, and he's probably penciled in to, to play on Saturday, right? Penciled. Penciled. Okay. What's going on with Byfield? I heard that he's been skating the last couple of days. The word that I get is that he probably won't be ready to go for Saturday. Would you agree? I I really can't say on that end. It's we're we're hopeful that we're going to get to see him in a game sooner than later, and uh, uh, I'll I'd have to I'd have to talk with him after his skate today. Um, he did he did complete the majority of the day for us, and he left uh, as planned. It wasn't he, he left practice early, but he left as planned. It wasn't it wasn't a setback or anything like that. So um, we're we're hopeful that he can he can get into game action as soon as possible. Whether to say it's this weekend would be. I wish I could give you a concrete answer on that. I okay. can't. Okay, but he is traveling. He is going by bus with you guys. It seems that way as okay. of right now. Okay. Bar, barring barring anything that that may have happened, um, you know, that, that they review it or something like that after practice today. But okay. as of right now, it looks as if we'll we'll see him on the road, and we might we might get him into a game depending on how things work out. Okay, so let's jump a couple a couple steps ahead then. So regardless of when the game is, you came into preseason uh, sort of having him penciled in on the top line, playing with Madden and Kaliev, and then because of his injury in game early in game two, uh, Kapari slid in there, and you know really that that line didn't miss a beat. They were fantastic in those five games, or I guess three and a half games, if you will. Um, would you be inclined to put Byfield back up there on the top line playing with Madden and playing with Kaliev? Or would, at this point, that line's doing so well, you might want to rethink the whole thing about where you put Byfield? Well, we're going to rethink the whole the whole scenario. It, we're trying, it all depends on how many, you know, like who's all in the lineup at the time. If we can, if we can have that, you know, sort of that recipe of the, of this, we I think we're pretty solid through center. If you talked about Quentin being a lineup and having Turcotte healthy, and we're really good through the middle of the ice, we're young but really talented and very very capable. Then it's just about trying to you know piece together ideal lines. You have you have the the center. There's no question on that. Then you try to just work out how will chemistry display itself. Are they going to be a speed line? Are they going to be a grind line? Hopefully, you've got one one digger and one one hammer uh, on on each line. So it it, all, it really does depend. And um, it, to be frank, we're our roster, uh, the NHL roster is changing uh, on the hour. And so that means that we're changing probably twice on the hour because it's just things are happening so fast and um, moving parts. So we're, we've got all different kinds of scenarios that come into play and we could, we could be here all day if we wanted to want to discuss them all. Well, okay, hold on, though. We, we, we kind of know who's going to be on your roster, right? We know that Kaliev is already back with Ontario. We know that he's going to play this weekend for the Reigns. So we know Tyler Madden is still there. Uh, There's a little bit of shuffling on the defensive side of things. But if you get Turcotte back, if you have Turcotte and Byfield in the lineup, is, are you saying that they both would be playing center or there's a possibility that one of them would move to the wing to, to balance things out? We've talked about every scenario that could that could go on, uh, whether it's guys moving moving the wing or playing center, and 
an ideal world, they're they're all playing their natural positions where they're drafted at, so that we can, you know, there's a reason why they were drafted in those spots. And so, ideally, we'll, we'll, we'd love to have all those guys to the middle, and we we would only adjust if we if we just have a log jam of players. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about having the, the hammer and the digger and that sort of thing. So, am I am I to understand that? Your preference, not preference, but your sort of ideology when it comes to putting a line together is to really, as best you can, focus on those three type of positions where some other coaches, as an example, they talk about pairs and they really, I don't want to say only worry, but their, their, their priority is to put pairs together and then they sort of just try to find a third player to complement the line. You tend, I'm, what I'm hearing is you tend to more think of it as all three as individuals and then one plus one plus one type thing. I also think that it's dependent on what kind of team you're you're working with at the, at at any given time. So if you've got, you know, it, it, if you can, ideally you you've got three scoring lines for sure. Like that, you want that to happen. You want three lines you can contribute. And how you get to that end is you're completely up to um, how many offensive style players you have. And if and if you do have to go out in pairs, say you only have six and you want to have three lines, then you got to go out in pairs. Um, you know, if you've, if you've got eight, then you eight or nine, then you maybe even start talking about identity. You know, this line might be a little bit, a little bit softer in the trenches, but they're going to burn you on the line rush or, you know, the opposite there. This is, we're going to put this line together to be really, really difficult down around the other teams, you know, the 10 by 10 area in front of the other team's net. And we're going to, um, you know, be, hopefully be just miserable to play against for the opponent and really be a team that just controls the offensive zone. So I think that there's there's room to be to make your lineup on on sets of three and there's there's room to uh have your have your forwards configured with a pair and then kind of piecemeal the, the third the third uh you know component into it. But I I think it's you're just uh, you wanna have each each line be able to report back to a uh, some some type of personality or a uh, you know an identity uh, with each line. So that's kind of the the mindset that that I try to use when I build a build a, a lineup. All right, there's too many defensemen on the roster right now, so I'm assuming that a couple might end up in the ECHL to start the season. I wouldn't say that. No, you're gonna you're gonna try to figure out how to rotate eight or nine D. Well, the, uh, the the problem you run into are some some reentry issues, and so if we if we send anybody out, then we're going to have to. It takes a, it, when if when they come back into our bubble, then you're talking you're talking about a, a significant time off uh, to reenter. So that makes things interesting, and uh, as you know, with the Kings having two defensemen out uh, with with uh, injuries, that that also places uh, quite a, a bit of undue stress on the organization and certain players that maybe aren't ready to. To play every day, so there there's can be some some fluidity there to their roster. So we're at we're at liberty of that, obviously. So we're you know we're kind of um, today we we didn't practice with that with a full conglomerate of nine players. So mm-hmm. on the back end, yeah. So we're we're kind of you know we're we we're unfortunately we're a bit reactive to all scenarios, and we don't want to get caught in a situation where where we're we're shorthanded either. Sure. Uh, I just know, for example, last year, and obviously times are different um, because, like you said, of the, the you know the COVID and the protocols and whatnot. But it was it was challenging for a guy like Sean Dersey to get into the lineup uh, in the early part of last year when Marcus Phillips was still here and there was a lot going on and they had to do some shuffling. Um, fresh start, obviously, it's you know a cl- you could give me the cliche answer, but that won't be any fun. D- does Brickley have sort of a a fresh start with you and everything that's gone on the last couple of years is behind him and and you're now trying to reestablish his his game? Is that fair? But I think that's you know with everyone has has a fresh start and especially after taking a year off, guys have made 
huge strides athletically, hopefully in this time. And um, that should, that should lead to a different level of confidence um, off the ice, which a lot of times gives you, gives you confidence on the ice. And I, you know, just from our, from our style uh, and, and my coaching mentality, I guess, is to, to try to bolster the players good as opposed to uh, beating them up over anything that they've done wrong. And so we're, we're just trying to, you know, if we want to use Brickley as an example, he's, he's shown a lot of really positive things for us uh, this in the early going the exhibition season, um, the way that he's, he's defended and asserted himself and, uh, at certain times. We're, we're, we're happy with his progress um, to, to this point. And now it's the mark for, you know, for a guy like Dan, we'll use him, keep sitting with him is just making sure it's consistent that where there's no, there's no hiccups. And if there is a little bit of a uh, departure from, from his, his play, it's not significant that it's, that, you know, you, the, your, your bad isn't, isn't terrible. And um, you know, that they were, we're able to, uh, to manage any mistakes that, uh, that, that guys make. And that's, you know, just us working through it and us having, have, that's why the uh, the regular season is so important for these guys that we got to play this year, so that we have tangible items on. You know, we, okay, you got faster, you got bigger, you got a harder shot, your your skills improve. But can we put it all together during the game? And um, you know, let's have let's have something tangible to work with and, and to uh, critique and to and to bounce off of. Yeah, you know, uh, he's somebody that I think a lot of people are rooting for as well. Almost sort of written off last year, a lot of personal issues away from the ice, unfortunately, and was kind of forgotten about to a certain extent. But he brings a different element. When you look at what the Kings have defensively, he brings something different than nearly every other player uh, in the pipeline on on the blue line. It's a lot of lines, but uh, he he brings something a little bit different. So if if you can help uh, reestablish you know, Brickley's uh, value to the organization, uh, that really would be, that would be tremendous. You mentioned CJ earlier, Craig Johnson, uh, who was hired. He's obviously been in the development side of things with the Kings for a couple of years now, but he now steps in as an assistant coach. And I'm just curious, what does he bring to the overall, you know, sort of coaching group that you have? And what was the process of getting him into that role? Was it your decision? Was it something that had already sort of been pre-decided before you came on board? What, What kind of insight can you provide? So uh, I guess we'll start with how how CJ became the assistant. This was in the in the hopper before I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it was it was predetermined that he would um, have have a very good opportunity to come in and, and work on the bench side. Uh, but it didn't come to fruition until after after I had gotten the job, and I was I was great with it. I've heard nothing but good things, and um, you know it was he, he, right away. You just you, what you get from CJ is you get a guy who, who played, understood who he was as a player, understood the, the everyone's jobs and, and the magnitude of whether it was skill or momentum type of guy. I think that he was he was taking inventory the whole the whole way along while he was playing, and his his background with the development side has led him to I think to understand all sorts of players. So it's just like that common theme of him sort of being an everyman where he, 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 he's, he's awesome with each guy. He, he's really personable. And then he can bank his hockey knowledge of, of all scenarios. He coached the first, his son's the first rounder. So he understands the pedigree of what's going on with that, that young man as well. So he's got, he's got just all the spectrum uh, just travels so far with him. And then he's just, he's got a really, really solid you know, just view of the game, the way that he, the way that he sees all zones, he's offensive minded. I, that's something that, that, I, that lines up with my mentality. We're, we're constantly searching for more ways for offense to, 
to whether it's a line rush option or, or somewhat a tweak in our defensive zone, which is going to help our, our line rush game. It, it, there's just a, a big time student of the game and, and offensively that's where he's, his, his brain seems to gravitate that way. So we get, we get along really well that way because my, my brain works the same way. And then we get, we get our balance with Hyder. You know, Hyder is a defensive minded guy. He makes sure that, that we're checking our boxes on, on things like, uh, you know, that we're, that we're covering our neutral zone floor check and that we're doing, we're doing the things that make sure everybody's on the same page on the defensive side of the puck. And so I really, really enjoy the staff uh, with Matt Miller and Brad Schuler. Just the camaraderie that we have, we work, we work in fairly tight quarters, about as tight as you can do it with, uh, you know, being COVID compliant. Uh, we're all in one, one general space. So there's a lot of, hey, take a look at this monitor. And, you know, we do it all through, through very safely with masks on and, you know, it's at least, at least eight, 10 feet apart at all times. So we're, we're compliant that way. And, um, but there's just nonstop from about seven, seven, seven thirty till practice around. 1230, 1 o'clock where there, someone's someone's pulling a clip up and showing us something from a different viewpoint. So we got a great melting pot here. Robo, tell the truth. Have you challenged him to a foot race yet on the ice? Good, Craig? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't challenge him to a foot race. I'd challenge him to a skating contest, a skating and I wouldn't contest. do that either. <laughs> and, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> Okay. He can, he's still got, he's still got the youthful legs. I'm pretty sure underneath all that track suit. So I'm not, I'm not sure what, uh, what age father time has for Craig, but it's, it's not, it's not fair. Most, most, uh, most people his, that have been on the earth as long as he has can't aren't as athletic and can't move like he can. That guy's, that guy's an athlete and we're, um, whether it's, so, you know, doing something off the ice or on the ice, he's, he's a hell of an athlete. Awesome to see the Ontario Reign re-sign J.F. Berube, who started his career, uh, you know, with the Kings organization, drafted, played in Ontario as well, and then now to see him come back and to be that veteran presence, I, I just think it's a great story. And he's he's not weird like a lot of goalies. He's a good guy. He's a really cool. He's a cool cat. Uh, have you gotten to know him at all yet? He, yeah, I don't know what it is. He just kind of. He's always just kind of around, uh, whether it's grabbing a coffee at the same relative same time or kind of just passing by he's he's one of one of the players that i've i've had a a really strong chance to to get to know and i i completely agree with what you're saying he's he's not your typical goalie that's uh that's a little quirky a little out there um i love the way that he practices he's he's all in on it you know whether it's a three on oh drill against them or whatever he's he is a tremendously tremendously competitive uh you know individual and uh, I, I just, we're very, we're very fortunate to have, have that situation kind of, I don't want to say fall in our lap, but it'd be very convenient for us to be able to bank on, you know, with all the, all the fluctuation. Is he starting on Saturday? We'll see. <laughs> You're killing me. I swear. No, uh, <laughs> there's moving parts. There's moving parts. I guess I, we're not, we're not sure who's starting yet. Okay. Yeah, we're, I'm going to start having you on the program 30 minutes before, uh, while everybody's getting dressed to play, that's when we're going to have to start talking to you. That'll get the, light, I have, <laughs> the we have a, we have a joke in, in this, like we're playing, we're always trying to plan, plan, plan for, you know, the power play or whatever, just, and I, you know, it's, we're working on it tomorrow. It's a, let don't let's not even talk about what's going to happen tomorrow until we get to tomorrow because there's just every time that we've we've tried to do something there's there's just a, there's a little bit of uh, uh you know kind of uh something that something ends up there's an event that goes on and sure. out of our control and let's just be we need to be reactive and so that's kind of 
kind of our mindset. And if I if I told you one way, it would probably be different on, uh, on Saturday. All right, that's fair enough. Uh, let's wrap up with this then. We, we started today talking about being a proud papa, and uh, you're going to have to put your dad shoes on uh, in Vegas this weekend. You have a lot of kids on the team that aren't 21 yet. I'm imagining <laughs> you're going to have to have some curfews and some different things going on. Nah, we trust these guys. They're pros. They know that uh, what's the dangers of of going uh, of departing from our from our rules and regulations. It's not only could you get yourself in trouble with the team, you could you could put everyone at risk of a serious health issue. You, the opposition, the entire league, for that matter. So, guys, guys, know what, uh, what what's on the line. We're very we're readily available to remind them of how of of their their decisions and how important they are. So, we're all we're good there. Okay, sounds good. I'm playing some Soundgarden for you on the program today, some Audio Slave, and then uh, at, nice. the end, at the end of the program, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of Led Zeppelin, whole lot of love. I think we played that the last time you were on. It's it's one of their better tracks, in my opinion. Uh, all right, I'm counting on you this weekend, Robo. You need to you need to mix in some black and silver. Maybe look checking checking out your ties. No red, white, Let's, and blue this weekend. Keep just worry about what's on the ice. Don't worry about what the coach is wearing. <laughs> All right, right. you got it. We'll talk soon, man. Thanks, Robo. I appreciate you coming on today, and uh, good luck this weekend. Great being on, man. All right, we'll talk later. There you go, John Robleski. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Someone falls to pieces, sleeping all alone. Someone kills the pain, spinning in the silence to finally dress up. Excited in a chapel yard, catches a the third period of kings of the podcast with db and the mayor all right welcome back third period kings of the podcast thanks again to coach john robleski for jumping in and spending 30 minutes there going through you know not only his line combinations potential lineups and uh as well as just sort of an outlook overall of the ontario rain season i I do want to mention something though dennis since he he didn't exactly tip his hand to what the line combinations might be coming into the weekend and for those that, that weren't tracking the preseason games or paying attention to what went on during those five Ontario rain preseason games. What we saw was basically Tyler Madden on the top line with Kapari and Kaliev. Now Byfield started there on the top line. So it was Madden Byfield and Kaliev and Kapari was on the second line and Kapari uh, or maybe the third line, even Kapari was scheduled to play with Fagamo. However, Fagamo was called up and on the taxi squad, which we covered in, in previous episodes. And so when Byfield was injured, Kapari jumped up and played on that top line. I don't think that Byfield is ready for game one. That's sort of reading between the, the lines there. And that's what I'm getting. Also, Byfield was back skating this week. So there is a possibility that he plays on uh, on Saturday. I think it's more likely that he that he might play on Monday. Just my hunch. We'll find out more as game time comes. Mm-hmm. But if he's back, then it's Madden. I mean, just think about this lineup. It's Madden, Byfield, and Kaliev. Second line, you have Akil Thomas playing center. Third line, you'd probably have Kapari playing center. So the second line is Isimont, or was at least Isimont with Akil Thomas. 
they've rotated different guys uh, on the right side. Aiden Dudas had played center at one point, and then now he was playing wing in the most recent game. And I believe that if Byfield's healthy, that's where you'll see mm-hmm. Dudas slide in. So you'd go Kapari, Thomas. I'm sorry, you go Byfield, Thomas, Kapari down the middle. Sutter can play wing or play center. Drake uh, Rimshaw also plays center as well there on the fourth line. So Mikey Isimont with the kill Thomas is nice. Um, uh, we didn't get into it on, on the interview there, but Robo had said previously uh, that he really likes Mikey Isimont uh, getting into the dirty areas and how he, and the quote was, he drags Akil Thomas into that area of the game, not meaning into the dirty areas, but just he drags him into sort of the, uh, um, not not the fancy schmancy stuff that's going on in the game. He just brings him into a different element uh, and, and brings a he he brings a little bit out of Akil Thomas, and so that's good. Akil Thomas is a very talented player. Obviously, put up a lot of points, over 100 points in the Ontario League, um, so he's capable of of scoring and dishing the puck as well. And and there's a chemistry between him and his friend Aiden Dudas, uh, so that'd be great. And uh, we'll have to see where Kapari slides in, and, and assuming that Fagamo is able to get in there. Uh, you can certainly expect uh, Dick Dowdy to be in the lineup and offer a little bit of protection um, for, for some of these younger players. And Madden, if he's shown anything, he likes to put the puck in the net. So we'll have to see what happens in this two-game setup there. I think the defensive side of things is where things will be the most interesting, Dennis, because um, Bjornfoot had been the anchor on the top pair. He had rotated playing with a couple of different guys, including Sean Dersey. But uh, Bjornfoot is up with the Kings right now on the taxi squad and will even though he'll be in Vegas, he will um, most likely be spending time with the with the Kings. Uh, even if he's not in the lineup, he'll be on the taxi squad this weekend. Right. So down the road, playing against the Silver Knights, they're going to have to put something different together. So back to Daniel Brickley, who we talked about earlier, sure. you could actually see Brickley on the top pair uh, with Sean Dursey, perhaps, or even a Marcus Phillips, who can play right and left side. That could be your, uh, your top pair there for the Ontario Reign on opening night, I believe. And Cole Holtz coming... Coming off of that injury that Robo talked about, um, I would expect him to be in the lineup as well. And so we'll have to see who starts in goal. I would guess it would be J.F. Berube just because coaches, including Robo, tend to like those veteran players. And um, he went with J.F. Berube in the first preseason game for that reason. And I could see that uh, Berube's would get the start there on uh, on Saturday. So not that Berube is going to get the majority of the starts throughout the season. I do expect it to be Volalta and Ingham, but uh, Berube, Berube probably would get would get game one. You know, All right, Dennis. You know, it's funny, yes. John. As much as I joke about playing the kids, when you when you list the if they're healthy, that top six, that would be exciting to watch. And you know, I'm not a big AHL or prospects honk, but but when you list those six players when they're healthy, like that to me, fans should be excited to tune in to stream those games because that would be an exciting proposition if those guys are going to be playing all together. You know, Dennis, sometimes I get in my soapbox and I keep repeating the same things over and over, whether it's Mikey Anderson is important, pay attention. Cole Holtz is important, pay attention, right? Uh, On this case, I'm going to tell you, I I keep saying these 10 games for Ontario are more important than the next 10 games for the LA Kings. So tune in, everybody. AHL TV, you get an opportunity to see all of the Kings' top prospects, Tyler Madden, Kapari, Kalia, Akil Thomas, if Byfield uh, jumps in there, you know, uh, Bjornfoot when he's back, plus Sean Dersey, all of these names, you're going to see Volalta, you're going to see Ingham, you're going to see Cole Holtz, you're going to see the future LA Kings. This is their top 15 prospect pool. And just in this perfect storm, they're all together. Where normally they they drip in, right? You know, a couple players every year, they sort of drip in. They're all sort of converging, almost like an all-star team, like a world junior team or, or whatever. 
I would say, be patient, everybody. Yes, manage your expectations, coach. please. It's a new coach. It's a new team. If it's, it's five it's, one the other way, opening night, don't get crazy. Exactly. No, no. It, <laughs> the score almost becomes irrelevant. Right. right? Exactly. But yes, they want to win. Yes, they want to win. But the score almost becomes irrelevant. This is about getting Arthur Kaliev professional minutes on a top line and letting him play 20 minutes a night and getting him used to playing against men, getting Akil Thomas used to taking face-offs against guys that are twice as strong as he is. It's that it's, that's the development side of things is very important here. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you. Like watch those players play, like watch them play. Don't look at the scoreboard, watch them play. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's another t-shirt. You know, we talked in the last program about, <laughs> I'm going to use that hashtag, watch them play. There, it's a great hashtag. Like, there you go. Okay. Let's jump back into this, uh, the, these polls that we did here, Dennis, and wrap sure. up today's program. So, which Kings goalie would you rather see get the bulk of the starts for the remainder of the season? I will say I was a little surprised. Uh, Cal Peterson or Jonathan mm. Quick. And Cal received 64% of the votes. Quickie, 36% of the votes. But you got like, to know what Cal has. Like, like, so you'd be happy with Cal playing 28 games? I just want to I, – I, especially after the other night. I'm like, given the – we know what you have in Jonathan Quick. We know, And John's not – I believe John's come to terms with – where he is this in career, things of that nature. And with respect to where the team is in development, I think if you went to John and say, look, we need to have Cal start 65% of the games. Are you cool with it? I think he'd be cool with it, John. I just think that I, I really want to see Cal in a greater body of work this year. All right, so let me jump in here. Yeah, go ahead. First of all, I don't, I don't think Jonathan Quick would ever be cool with telling him that he's not going to play. I think that you could say that you're going to play three-on-three three pickup in the parking lot of T-Mobile <laughs> at 8 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, and I think Jonathan Quick wants to be the starter, and he's going to be pissed if he's not. He's going to start breaking stuff. Now, that aside, I, I'm, I'm not saying what I expected the results to be based upon my own answers or bias or thoughts or whatever. I'm always trying to get inside the minds of the people responding, and how are they going to view it? And knowing that 70% of the fans want this team to make a push for the playoffs based upon previous polls uh, and knowing that Jonathan Quick has been really so good over the last you know, year, if you will, and has, has looked more like the Jonathan Quick of old than he did at the beginning of last year when people were really down on him and knowing what Jonathan Quick has meant to the franchise and how people are attached to players and, and, and that sort of thing. I just expected there to be more love for Jonathan Quick from that fan base than... Yeah for Cal Peterson to get 64% of the votes. I, I would have expected it to be a little bit closer is all I'm saying. So for Quickie to only get 36% of the votes, I was just a little surprised by it. Now, if you want to use your logic, I, I agree with you. I would rather see Cal Peterson get the bulk of the starts yeah. this year. And um, I think that the Kings organization would like to see Cal Peterson get the majority of the starts, but they weren't going to hand him the keys. He was going to no, have to no. earn. Agreed. And I'll say this, if, if Cal's playing like he played the other night and he's had a couple of good performances, if you ignore the first week or so when he came back and, yes. and Todd even made reference to that, like, hey, this guy was in protocol for a while. And so you have to give him a chance to work his way back in, let him play his quote unquote preseason games, even though they're in the regular season. Right. Cal, Cal's been getting better. He's building momentum. Yeah, so, Okay. 64%. Um, next question. Which aspect of the LA Kings are you most disappointed in? Offense, defense, goaltending, or special teams? Well, this one wasn't even close. <laughs> the defense, 73%. Now, again, I want to say interesting timing because if Matt Roy was healthy and in the lineup, right. I'm just curious if it still would have been 73%. 
Well, yeah, but they weren't great defensively against Minnesota. I think this is also a, a vote against Olimata as well. So I, I just think that it, if you look at the other aspect, good John, it's not about necessarily where they performed or how they were performed with Matt Roy. It's in context to the other votes that the other choices you have, mm-hmm. not the offense they've been producing. The special teams, the penalty, the, the, the power play has been great. So what are you left with? Well, okay. Since I like to find things to take exception to, I take exception to the 16% of the people that voted the offense. What is wrong with you guys? 16% of you don't like the offense. This team has been able to generate goals consistently outside of the Anaheim game. And so again, maybe it's a recency bias. I have no idea because if you want to pick apart this team, I don't care how cynical you are. You shouldn't be pointing to the offense at any point of your case. So if you want to stand up as a, as an attorney and you want to give your, you know, your opening statement or your closing statement, man, you need to keep the LA Kings offense out of your mouth and don't make that part of your speech. Cause it is yeah. not a problem this year. I think they rank about midpoint in the league right now. So you can't really point at that saying that's what you're most, you know, disappointed about. So I, I, I agree. I don't know what, unless pe- those are people looking at five on five because the, the power play has been carrying the offense for the most part, but still when you compare it to what, going on with the defense and the injuries and the you know underperformance yeah it's 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 clear cut so it's no when i saw that saw that poll i was like mm, i think i know which one's gonna win <laughs> shame on those people that voted 16 percent. shame on you you should go to the box for a five minute timeout <laughs> next up most surprising kings player this season this was really interesting to me yes. dennis because you have to you have to focus on the word surprising right so context is important. Same thing we always talk about here on the program. <laughs> always. Context is important. So most surprising Kings player this season, Mikey Anderson, double A, Jeff Carter, or Adrian Kempe. And Mikey Anderson received 19% of the votes. The only person that received fewer votes was Jeff Carter at 14%. And I don't understand that. Adrian Kempe came in second at 24%. And then double A received 43% of the votes. Now, I want to get your take first before I offer mine. What, what, what do you say about those numbers there, TD? Um, I voted for Kempe for obvious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I think the disparity between Kempe and Anthony Seal is too large. It's too large of a, yes. of a yeah, It's just too large. I mean, he played, what, five games? And then he got on the COVID list. Um, scored some goals. They weren't really big-time goals. But um, to me, it's the fact that Kempe graduated and got to the first line was effective with Kopitar. To me, that's the most surprising thing. So, yeah, I, I, I get the production from Anthony Siu. I don't get the gap in the voting at all. I don't think it was that clear. I don't think it's that clear cut. Yeah. See, I'm with you. This is this is this is where my head was at. I look at this and I go, OK, the Mikey Anderson thing is going to go one of two ways. Either people they slept on Mikey Anderson and they didn't right. realize how good he was, despite all the stuff that we had said or written about him. And so he's going to win big because he's now up on the top pair and performing well, playing with Drew Doughty and seems to have stabilized that that top pair after the, the start with Mata. So people are going to just vote in a landslide for Mikey Anderson or. Or the exact opposite was going to happen, which is that people were expecting big things from Mikey right. Anderson. And so back they to the word surprised, they really weren't that surprised. They're like, oh, yeah, this right. is exactly, exactly. you know, we kind of thought Mikey Anderson is going to be good and, and he's good, right? 
Um, and so I thought that it was going to come down to Carter or Kempe because double A, oh, yeah, he's, he's been a nice addition. He scored some goals, whatever, but it's not like he put this team on his back and is, you know, no. look like he, he deserves top line minutes and he's the savior to the franchise. So I thought eh, he's like, you know, fine. He's in the mix. He's, he's part of the conversation, but he's not going to get a lot of votes. And again, I'm not saying anything disparaging about the player. We're only talking about within the context of voting. And it, for me, it came down to the two players. Jeff Carter has looked and everybody's talking about it from the coaches to his teammates, to fans, to other media. Jeff Carter looks like, you know, uh, the fountain of youth has you know, done him well. And he's five years younger and all this sort of stuff. And then Adrian Kempe, who has we've talked about it. He's a different player. He's a mature player. He's been more involved physically. I would have voted for Kempe probably. And if I didn't vote for Kempe, I probably would have voted for Carter. And yet they received you know, 24% and 14% of the votes, Carter received the fewest votes of everybody, which didn't make any sense to me. And like you said, the disparity for double A at 43%. Yeah. I, okay. Well, uh, I think I, the Carter thing is, I think they look, because watch our hashtag for Jeff. All he does is all score. He does score. Well, yeah. he does, he's, but it's the opposite this year, right? He's got a, he's got a bunch of assists on one goal. So I think that's the I think that's the differentiator when fans look at this thing. What's the most surprising? If it was okay. if Jeff was back on like a thirty goal track, then maybe. Uh, okay. So and that's that's and that's John. That's like an insider analysis, right? It's like you're talking to people, you're talking to coaches, and it's like, hey, look, he hasn't scored any goals, but his play has been really, really good. And I think there's some nuance there that the normal fan wouldn't have. Good point. Good point. Okay, next question. Thoughts on the Kings reverse retro now that you've seen them in the game? Let me just first of all say that I wanted a reverse retro question, and and I thought of like three or four different ones, and none of them kind of captured the spirit of, of what I was getting after, and I'm still not even convinced that this question was was worded correctly, so I do want to say that. I just I wanted to get a, a sense of what people were thinking about the reverse retro because to me it was a big deal that they were in a game and it was like it was real it wasn't just pictures and and mock-ups and concepts and or you know fancy videos adidas yeah Yeah. this was like this you saw them in a game and you saw the full kit now of course we had the the full kit as an exclusive on mayor's manor a while ago but it's different when you see it on a player and it's in a game and all that sort of stuff so thoughts on the king's reverse retros now that you've seen them in a game um even better than expected exactly as expected or eh, not for me uh 60% even better than expected 30% exactly as expected and meh, not for me 10% um and there's always going to be those people and that's fine I, I you know it's this weird thing though Dennis it, I, let me just do you have any thoughts on that before I go on a rant here uh yeah no I, I think when you see them on the ice and Kopitar and Dowdy and Quick having him on the uniforms. I think it's going to be better expected. I think that it just the, just the look is is fresh. It looks great. So that's mine. But please, let's hear your rant. I th- I've long said that you can divide Kings fans into these segments, right? They're they're like they're the fans from the purple and gold era, which I would consider just to be pre Gretzky. Now that's that's a wide sweeping generalization because you had a team in the '70s and then you had a team in the '80s, and and you could really delineate even within that group but they're just to me there aren't enough fans left from that generation of the purple and gold pre Gretzky era to start splicing them up into different groups so I grouped them into one group then you have the group of fans that came around 88 89 when Gretzky came and really put hockey on the map in Los Angeles and that's the group of fans that largely remember 
the, the Kings run to the 93 Cup final. And then you have the next group being what I call the early Staples Center uh, fans. So this is the group of fans that came on to the bandwagon. They had Ziggy Palfi, they changed the jerseys, they had the shield on the front, um, and it was a different group. And then you have the Stanley Cup era. So then after Dean Lombardi came, they switched and they wore the black and white jerseys. And then, you know, Kopitar and Brown and Dowdy and that generation, they won Stanley Cups, the Jeff Carter group. Then you have that group of fans. And there are fans from all of those categories that have been, you know, that have left the bandwagon. And so there's going to be a new group of fans, another generation of fans. As this team gets better, they'll join. And in years later, we'll talk about the Byfield, Turcotte, you know, Bjornfoot, whatever group you want to call them. We'll talk about that group of fans. And so where I'm going with this is I think that a lot of this is largely driven by when did you come on board as a fan? Right. Because um, the nah, not for me. That particular group, although it's a small group, and I, I had somebody uh, recently saying, I don't like it. They shouldn't be wearing the same colors as the Lakers. Okay, hold on. Let's make sure that at least people understand history. The, the Kings are not wearing the Lakers colors. The Lakers are wearing the Kings colors. So let me explain this to everybody, okay? The, the Lakers wore blue and white. They moved here from Minnesota. They moved to Los Angeles five years prior to the Kings' uh, what, what's the word being born in 1967. So in the early from 62 to 67, the Lakers wore still wore their blue and white that they wore previously. When Jack Kent cook, the original owner of the LA Kings built the forum and brought the Kings into the national hockey league. He ran a contest. That's how they came up with the name Kings. He decided he wanted Royal colors to match that. That's where the purple came from. What was an accent color that goes with purple? It was yellow purple or forum blue and gold, whatever you want to call it. Okay. I'm trying to give you a history lesson here. People don't nitpick me. <laughs> Purple and gold became the colors of the LA Kings. And because the Lakers were going to play in the same building and he owned them, he said, I want the Lakers to change so that all my teams are the same. So the Lakers actually were copying the Kings. So that's what they're wearing. And if you really want to be technical, that's a stupid argument anyway, because um, the, the, the black and silver and white that the Kings are wearing, the Raiders were also wearing those colors as well. Now, I understand there's a little footnote there as well that technically the Kings weren't copying the Raiders wholeheartedly, maybe partly they were, because Luke Robitaille and Bruce McNall came on the old Mayor's Manor podcast before this thing ever existed, and Bruce told the story about how Luke had influenced him and his thinking because Luke's junior team, um, uh, Hall, in, uh, in, in the Quebec League, they were black, white, and silver, and Luke liked those colors, and Bruce liked those colors, and so they they wanted to go that way. Now, I'm sure that, you know, subliminally or whatever, the Raiders, you know, influenced them as well. But the point is, nothing is new. There are no new ideas in of business, course. right, Dennis? Oh, Everybody is Everybody's ripping else. off everybody else. Let's yeah. go. But don't give me this nonsense about the Kings are copying the Lakers. They're not. The Lakers copied the Kings, okay? So the Lakers are purple and gold because of the Kings' original owner, Jack Kent Cook. There you go. So there's my rant for the day. Beautiful. Uh, history lesson as well, DB. It's all about education. It's about, you know, making sure that your, your information is informed. Um, better than expected? Yeah, I would say that they were better than expected because you're not just seeing a jersey. You're seeing a full uniform kit. You're seeing helmets and you're seeing pants and you're seeing gloves and you're seeing them in action. And they did look beautiful. And uh, you'll get to see them again for three more games this season. So there you go. Last question, Dennis. Would you be okay? This was a, oh man, this one. Would you be okay? <laughs> You're already exasperated about it. Go oh, God, yes, it's uh would you be okay with the Kings trading their 2022? Let me repeat that number again, Dennis. Would you be okay with the Kings trading their 2022 first round draft pick to add a top four defenseman right now? 
Now, 2022 is very important because everybody's hyped for the 2021 draft. This happens every year, Dennis. People get hyped for that year's draft. Right. People want to tell you that this draft is deep and this has this. It's just it's the same hype story every year for the draft. And so people get excited about it. And people also, I think, talk out of both sides of their mouth. They want the Kings to win. They want them to look competitive, uh, but they also want them to get high draft picks. It's very difficult to do both <laughs> because the better you play, the lower your draft pick is. So it's 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 a contradiction, Dennis. Yeah. I selected 2022 to put the conversation yes. about 2021 behind them because there are so many defensemen in the 2021 draft and the Kings need a defenseman. Right. But, oh, my gosh, you can't possibly imagine the Kings being seller dwellers this year and then again next year. Right. That would be a long and painful rebuild, right? So I said the 2022. So if the Kings are expected to be better next year, that would be a lower uh, draft pick in the first round, potentially. Um, would you be willing to mortgage a little bit of the future in that sense and try to get some immediate help for a top four defenseman? Would you be willing to do that right now? This particular question stirred up, I believe, the most controversy and perhaps the most responses uh, as well. So people were all over the board on this one. 58% said yes. Or sorry, 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 sorry. 58% said no. Do not trade a draft. Do not trade a first round draft pick 2022. Don't do it. 42% said yes. So a big continental divide uh, between the between the two groups. Basically, it's a coin flip. I mean, I know it's a little bit favored 58 42, but essentially it's, it's, it's close to being half the half the fans are saying trade and the other half are saying, nope, sit tight. Yeah. OK, so it's definitely yes. I, I would trade this year's pick if it was if it was lottery protected. Right. And then move to 2022. Here's why, John, because if, if we're going to talk about like that player being picked in 2022, and let's assume it's not some superstar that's going to step on the ice the first game and and perform. So then so it's not talk, Drew Yeah, It's not true. So then he's going to play in 2024. Let's say, let's say, let's say it takes a year. The second year, maybe he's good. Okay. Maybe he's starting to show signs. So now you're not willing to do it now. 2021, three years, you're worried about three years from now. I got news for you. And this is not a slide on the general man. If the team's that bad at that point, like it's going to be a different GM. This is because this is going to be a five-year rebuild and steam team has to make traction. So you have to assume a, it's going to be a, a picked 16 and lower, right? I, I would do that in a second to get help right now for a guy that's going to play 20 minutes a night on the top four. Like, how do you not do that? Like it's, it's, it's like, like, then, you know what, turn your, your Xbox GM card. Cause you don't know how to work the draft and you don't understand what's going to take to develop that player. You pick in what, 18 months from now to get to the NHL when you're hoping for a player and that you're hoping for the same type of player, John, right? You're hoping for a top four guy. So you can either get him now or you get him with the 2022 pick, which is two, three years from now. doesn't make sense. Of course you make the deal. Go ahead. Dennis, I'm with you all the way. That's why it's like I didn't understand the, the way that the voting went. I mean, I did understand because I understand the way that a lot of people think, but I, I'm right there with you that defensemen take longer to develop. Yeah. So outside of the rare, rare, rare gems that you're getting, like a Drew Doughty and guys like that, you draft these other players. Just look at the guys that were drafted this year, guys that were uh, said to be studs in Drysdale and Sanderson and all these guys. They're not playing on the top line in the NHL. They're going to take time to develop. It's going to be a while before you see some of these guys. So, yeah. And, John, the other thing is is that these, these people that reference you can't make the trade, and then they reference the players at the top of the draft. 
Like, no, you're not. Like, like I said, if you're gonna, it's going to be a whole different ball game, you know, here in LA. If you're really drafting at the top of the draft, I get it, I understand it, but uh, we're going to make an assumptive thing here that a it's like a rising tide. It rises all boats. I assume that this group of players that are coming are going to make this team better. Yes. Can't tell you're going to win a Stanley Cup. Going to make them better. So now you're yes. drafting, like I said, 15, 20, 25. And those players are toss-up, John. You know that. So it's just, I don't, I don't like, you have to understand what this, this process is. And some fans are just reactionary. And giving that type of reason, then, then obviously you're not buying what's going on right now, which is unfortunate. There's this group of people that just seem to want to stockpile as many high-end prospects. Just get more, more, more. Guys, the King, I've said this before, the Kings have too many prospects right now. They have too many. Trade to like, Drew Daddy for three picks, John. Let's go. They have too many. They're going to need to trade some of these guys at some point. So established talent I don't believe point. you're ready to trade the prospects yet. You will be in 18 to 24 months, but you're not ready yet then the only other really big assets that you have that are valuable if you're looking to get something like that would be your your draft capital, your your, your draft picks. So trade a first-round pick would be yes. Um, and the other thing is some of the replies. My God, oh, people wanted to get really nuanced on this question. Like, guys, it's just Twitter. Have some fun, right? But they're like, <laughs> well, how old is the guy? He's a top four defenseman, oh. but is he 26 or is he 30? Well, you know, how many years is he under contract? I would be willing to trade him if he if we have uh, three more years. <laughs> of like, I guys, I, you know, I only have 280 characters. I mean, I can't add all of the, the you know, the caveats to it. Um, yes, you're not trading. The Kings are not in the position right now to trade a first round pick for a rental. I guess I needed to say that. I mean, or they're not, gonna, they're not in a position that they wouldn't trade that first round pick for Brent Burns. They right? better not. Right. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, there's a top four, top pair defenseman, but you wouldn't yeah. trade for that player. You wouldn't trade for, well, Vlasic is, is, an, is, is a gun. You wouldn't trade it for Shea Weber, right? That That's okay. what I'm saying. Like, you wouldn't do that. I, anyway, that wouldn't be, that's not a logical, like, proposal at this point. How about at the other end of the spectrum, Dennis? Yeah. Multiple people in there are going, do it right now for Byram. I'm like, you do understand that to get that player, you're trading more than your 2022 first round draft. Right. What right. would the advantage be for a franchise to trade him right now for a 2022 first round pick? There's no Colorado, advantage. There's none. There's no advantage. Colorado oh, would never Colorado do that. Hang, they're going to hang up the phone on you. <laughs> you that's, that's a three for one trade. You better be willing to trade right. three assets. And, exactly. and age distribution is important as well. Why? why <laughs> I, just, I, I can't even do it, Dennis. I, I just laugh. You can't do it. You can't do it. Why, start letting What's the logic of that? Like, you have to give and get, right? You have to be able to give something that another team needs in return. Yeah. Colorado has the player. They already have the player. Why, yeah. why would they trade Quinn you? Quinn Hughes isn't tra trading. Vancouver's not trading you Quinn Hughes for a 2022 pick. First round. No, it's not happening. Because they, are, they already have the they player. They found him. <laughs> they found him in Quinn Hughes. They're not going to say, no, we'd like to do over. We want to do it again. We're so confident in our, our scouting staff. We can do it again. No problem. Sure. Send right. us by. And, and you're also going to set us back as an organization three or four years. Right. I'm talking as of Vancouver. Yeah. Because they have the player now. And if they trade the player away and they get another player in 2022 and he's not available till 2024, you just set the franchise back three years. Look, the the likelihood, John, is that you're you're trading for a player who's probably 25, 26, 27, somewhere in there. That would be the player. It's not going to be this stud kid who's 22 years old because that's he and he's controllable. You're not even paying him big money. It's not going to be the veteran who's in his 30s. It's going to be like you always mentioned the age distribution. It's going to have to be a guy who fits with respect to the age development of the franchise right now.
26 to 28 years old yeah. is the sweet spot. So guys, don't don't take this recording and then if the Kings ever do trade for a 25 <laughs> or a 29-year-old, tell me that I was wrong, okay? 26 to 28 is the sweet spot, plus or minus a year on either side. Right. I don't see any 33-year-old defenseman on a five-year contract coming to Los Angeles, and I don't see them trading anytime soon for a 21-year-old uh, uh, you know, defenseman. Those are <laughs> yeah. 21-year-old defensemen that are high-end, are hard to find, and most teams are going to hold on to them. Yeah, Thomas and, Shabbat's not coming from Ottawa, guys. Come on. Let's well, go. So there you go. So if you can find somebody, and I know they've been dialing like crazy, dialing for dollars, dialing for defensemen, actually, is what they've been doing. They have been looking. Um, they're in the market. And they know that they also need to add a different element than what they have right now. They right. need to add somebody who is of that, uh, you know, Matt Green, Robin Regeer. Size. Uh, they need size. You know, right yep. Gideri, they need that sort of a presence in the lineup, a true shutdown guy. Um, you know, you can only add so many offensive minded defensemen, you know, to the group and they have a lot of good stuff that's coming. So, all right, that was fun, Dennis. We had uh, 10 Twitter poll questions. We'll have to do that and weigh in with everybody and, and check in. And, um, it just gives us stuff to argue about on the podcast here, DB. Oh yeah, it was great, John. I just, again, I said before we started the podcast this morning, um, the, the stuff that you came up with these questions, I think were good. It's, it's spurred thinking. Some of the thinking wasn't as great, but great responses and, uh, look forward to doing it again sometime soon. All right. Another jam-packed episode, DB. Thanks again to John Robleski for jumping in. Have fun, everybody, this weekend. You have two games with the Kings in Vegas, two games with the Ontario Reign in Vegas. And here's a little sneak peek. We will be back on Monday with another Kings of the Podcast. We will recap everything that went down in Vegas, and we will be joined by agent to the stars, Alan Walsh. It should be a fun-filled program on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. You know